You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, good morning or good afternoon, as the case may be, depending on where you're living this morning here in Southern California. It's still morning, but I know back east, it is now noon, officially starting within a minute, afternoon. So uh, anyway, I'm happy to be here with you on this lovely Sunday. I am your host for the next half hour. This is Dr. Jeff Werber here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio. Uh, I think the only live show here on Pet Life Radio where you actually get to call in and interact with us. And we want you to. We want to go over your questions. We want to handle your problems. And thanks to our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products and Kong Toys, just for giving us a call at 877-385-8882. We will send you out a free ProSense and Kong product. Can't beat that. Nothing better than free advice, free product. And a great way to spend a half hour on this wonderful Sunday. And you can also send us an email. As a matter of fact, we're going to start the show with an email. And I'm going to put my little readers on here. And this is coming now. You see this, uh, Dave from Duluth, actually, oh, God, sent his question in back, oh, many moons ago, show 19. And we were able to hopefully, we did help him out. And uh, he writes us, unfortunately, his dog did uh, have some severe liver cancer and passed on. And we're sorry to hear that, Dave. But here's Dave's email. And I have to tell you, I love reading things like this. Dr. Jeff, love your show and can listen only through podcast. Should be longer. Yes, Dave, I agree. But uh, there is so much great programming here on Pet Life Radio. I don't think any of us get more than that wonderful 30 minutes. But Dave goes on to ask, of some of the more common overlooked problems dogs may have, have, what are some of the symptoms the owner should look for and perhaps what we should do? Uh, He talks about his two-year-old Australian cattle dog, Terrier Mix, rescue named Zeta, who tested positive for Lyme disease. Vet's policy is not to treat unless symptoms show, then antibiotics for 30 days as necessary, then has given me things to watch for, like your advice, uh, etc. Now, one of the things that we have to talk about, well, first of all, let's handle this twofold, and that is, let's first talk about how do you know, how can sometimes you tell whether or not your pet is having a problem. And this is really challenging. And the reason for that is that many of our pets, when you think about the evolution, if you will, and I think we've covered this before in some of our programs, but it's very important to note is that by nature, animals aren't complainers. And I think this goes back to a time that if they did complain, if they were to show signs of weakness, outward signs of weakness, then they would in essence be a sitting duck for a predator. So they have almost learned through development that since no one's going to come and coddle them anyway, what's the point? Let's just move on. And sometimes we call it being stoic. I mean, I had one of my Labradors. In fact, my first Labrador was a garbage can hound. And on a number of times, he presented with severe pancreatitis. And dogs with pancreatitis have some pretty typical symptoms that we look for. And at one point, good old Thor was presenting with what I consider to be the typical signs of pancreatitis. He was vomiting. He didn't want to eat. I know he had gotten into the garbage, and I was palpating his abdomen, and I got nothing, no pain. Now, either it was because it was me, and of course, he's not going to, you know, complain or bite his master, but I mean, it just goes to show that from a classic standpoint of the condition, the pain that these dogs have, he wasn't showing me any. How many times, if any of you who are out there that are are, are listeners, have been pet lovers for a long time, think back 20, 30 years. How many dogs 
or cats went home from a spay or neuter procedure with pain meds. We were able to test pain receptors and measure their firing. We find out, oh my gosh, these dogs actually do sense and feel pain. And as we know, the sensation of pain sends up a cascade of events that ultimately is not good for their body, for the immune system. Stress is really not good. So what happens is that dogs going home from any kind of procedure are going home with plenty of pain meds, anti-inflammatories, things like that. So we are learning more and more and more. So I think what it boils down to is because our pets are often not going to help us come to a diagnosis or at least understand or recognize that there's a problem, we need to really pay close attention to our pets practically on a daily basis so we know what and how they act and respond that same way, even though they're not exhibiting any signs of a real problem, but something is off. Maybe you can't pinpoint it, but you know that something is different. It's time to explore. Now, if you want to give it a couple of days because there's nothing major and they're still eating, fine. But don't wait too long if things don't resolve because there's a good possibility that something is going on and they're just not letting us in on it. So let's now go specifically to Dave's case with Zeta and Lyme disease. Now, Lyme disease, as many of you know, is a tick-transmitted infection, Borrelia burgdorferi, and Borrelia is transmitted through the bite of an infected tick. It used to be just the Ixodes tick, the I-X-O-D-E-S tick. Now we find out that it can be carried by a number of different ticks, and though it is still more prevalent in the Northeast, thus Lyme, because the first case is diagnosed in Lyme, Connecticut. But it is now anywhere where there is a large tick population, Lyme disease can follow. And what specifically, in a case like this to answer Dave's question, when a dog is exposed to Lyme disease, and if you're, even if you're measuring antigen, but typically we measure antibody, that the body is responding. So if the dog is not showing any clinical signs, not every dog who is bitten by a tick that's carrying Lyme disease is actually going to ultimately present with clinical Lyme disease because our bodies, the dog's body, may be able to, depending on the strength of the infection, can probably or possibly take care of it. Same thing with parvo. You know, the old argument is a puppy acting totally fine, test positive for parvo. Are you going to treat it? Well, probably not because it could be that the parvo is just passing through the system, if you will, but the body's own immune system is doing a bang-up job taking care of the infection. However, if that dog starts to present with clinical disease, of course we're going to treat it. Likewise, we're going to treat them for if a dog is presenting with clinical disease, and even if his test is negative, we're still going to treat it because we're not treating tests necessarily. We're treating clinical disease. Now, if we're in an area where Lyme disease is very aggressive, we see a lot, and a dog tests positive, would it hurt to put them on a prophylactic antibody, antibiotic, say doxycycline, for a 20-day course, a three-week course? And the answer is no, as long as you follow through. So what my recommendation is, again, I'm not as familiar in the Lyme problem in Duluth, Minnesota. However, uh, if it's something where the veterinarian there, who probably has a lot more experience, because we don't see a whole lot of Lyme disease in Southern California, feels that they want to wait and watch the dog monitor for a bit and just see if the, if the dog is continuing to behave totally normally, what I would then do, and maybe in about a week or two, take another Lyme test. If it's then negative, then possibly we're fine. Uh, it all depends on how long the antibody load specific to Lyme disease is going to stay in the system. But if you want it to get a little more aggressive, Dave, and, and, and do the, the prophylactic course of antibiotics for three weeks or four weeks, not a bad idea either. 
So the key here in answer to the first part of Dave's question is how do we know? Let's talk about some very common diseases, common problems. Let's say the number two, three, four that we see on a regular basis. I'd say this time of year, number one problem we're going to see is skin disease. We see a lot of skin allergies. And so typical presentation is you're going to see a dog that's scratching. When we inhale pollens and we have pollen allergies, we typically exhibit symptoms of respiratory problems, runny nose, sneezing, coughing, etc. Dogs and cats, however, typically scratch. So the manifestation of atopic, meaning inhaled diseases in dogs and cats, is via scratching and skin problems. Also, contact irritants, lying down on the grass. So if you see a dog that typically is starting to scratch more aggressively, looking at the skin, the hair is falling out, very dry, even if they're not scratching. When petting them, you feel little scabs or sores. These are indications that your dog is having some degree of skin problems, skin allergy, potentially with secondary skin infection. And even if they're not acting that miserably, you should still have them checked out by your veterinarian. Normally, probably number one, not spring, summer, but always is going to be GI, gastrointestinal issues. And that's because our pets love to eat what they want to eat, not necessarily what we want them to eat. And they often get a hold of things that we don't want them to get a hold of. They pick things up off the ground. They get a hold of some issues, uh, some concerns. If you have kids, small kids that are eating and leaving droppings around of food, they're getting a hold of those, um, some of the foods that we are now known to be somewhat toxic, somewhat dangerous, notably raisins and grapes, maybe a little too much chocolate. How about xylitol? Xylitol is the ingredient in a lot of sugarless gums, mints, and candies that is clearly fine with us because we eat it all the time, but can be deadly to a dog and a cat, especially dogs. They will get xylitol poisoning, which causes severe kidney disease. So when a dog is off of food, and I don't mean just for a meal. I mean, if they're acting okay, but they're just not eating what they typically want to eat. And this goes on for more than two or three days. Then you need to start exploring. It could be a mild case of pancreatitis. It could be just a gastroenteritis. It could be, believe it or not, an oral problem. How often have I seen a dog that is just ADR, ain't doing right, off food, just not as animated about eating as it usually is, and we find a terrible gum infection or a cut inside the mouth or something lodged in between two teeth? So we need to get it out. So inspecting the mouth is also very important. And not only that, how about ears? You've heard of TMJ, temporomandibular joint. So when you have a mandibular joint problem, you know that every time you chew, you feel it up in your ears. So I've had animals with severe ear infections that are seemingly not that eager to eat. Now, it could be just because they feel like hell because of the infection, the ear infection. But likewise, it could be also by the mere fact that they're having a TMJ condition because of some pain in that area because of a severe ear infection as well. So GI, gastrointestinal, is another thing we commonly see that you need to be observant about and you need to really know how much your dogs typically or cats typically eat, how fast, how readily they eat, and understand and recognize when they are not eating with that same vigor. 
So it is our quickly, boy, does it come fast. Dave, I agree. Not enough time. We are, are here at a halfway point. So I'm going to break for a quick word from our uh, sponsors for Pet Life Radio. And we'll be right back here with Dr. Jeff. Ask the vet with Dr. Jeff. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's dinner time in America, where more pet parents trust PetSmart for natural and expert recommended foods than any place else. And now, we've added more than 100 new varieties to our already wide selection of your favorite brands, like Simply Nourish, Authority, Wellness, Science Diet, and more. Do what's best for your pet. At PetSmart, happiness in store. Go to PetSmartDeal.com to find out this week's coupon code and save up to 30% on food, treats, toys, and more. And get free shipping on orders of $49. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. I'm home. My hair looks cute. Now what? Bringing home a puppy or new dog is exciting, and he's depending on you to keep him in good health. Dogs need special care to keep them healthy as they grow throughout their entire life. Caring for their health is critical in all stages. With ProSense, it's simple and convenient to give your dog the care it needs with effective and quality products that treat, prevent, and provide essential daily vitamins and minerals. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Hi, this is T.O.D. Anderson, and I'm the host of Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. We're going to talk about a variety of topics on canine behavior and training, all based on modern methods that are fun for you and your dog. We might be talking about other critters, too. So join us on Get Positive Results. We'll talk about common issues between you and your dog, answer your questions, discuss different activities you can do with your dog, and keep you posted on current canine news and products. All this on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You are here with Dr. Jeff Werber, the host of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And um, we were just talking about some subtle things that you need to learn to recognize within your pets because they are not always going to tell us when they are feeling rotten, when things are just not right. And of course, the earlier we can make a diagnosis, the earlier we can get to the root of a problem, the better chances we're going to have of treating that problem. So we already talked about skin issues, very, very prevalent this time of year. We talked about the gastrointestinal issues, some of the concerns we have. And now I want to talk about another organ system, or actually it's, it's a couple linked together, and that is the neuromuscular skeletal system. And that is the involving joints, bones, muscles, 
obviously the nerves that feed these muscles, and another area where a lot of animals present with problems. My dog went out to the park yesterday, ran around like crazy, and now he's limping. What is it? Well, boy, it could be a lot of things. So we have to obviously evaluate some of the clues that we have. And when I have a dog coming in with limping, history is very important. The physical exam is very important because what we're going to do really is determined by how this all happened and what is going on right now. Say, for example, with a dog standing in front of me in my examination room. So when we have acute onsets, that means sudden onsets of a lameness, limping, weakness problem, that typically is going to mean an injury. You don't wake up one morning with bone cancer. You don't wake up one morning, right, with a severe muscular disease, neuromuscular disease. Most of those conditions are coming on, as we call an insidious onset, a slow progressive onset. It could be a rapid progression as well, but it's an onset. It's a progressive disease. Things that your dog was perfect yesterday or this morning, and now was limping, and by evening, something happened. And it could be as simple as stepping on something, check the pads, check in between the feet. It could be a, a foxtail that was migrating. It could be a, a soft tissue injury, a soft tissue strain. It could be a, a minor one to a major one that's going to need surgery like a cruciate ligament. Okay? So these are all things that we have to look at. And therefore, that history is so important. But what I typically recommend, if you have a dog that all of a sudden, or a cat even, cats less so to present with musculoskeletal problems, it's usually the dog, is to, first of all, can they bear weight on the limb in question? Are they completely down? I mean, here's a serious one that can happen suddenly. You have a dachshund, you have a Frenchie, a French bulldog, and they jump off the bed, you might hear a scream, and now they are literally practically paralyzed in their back legs. They don't seem to be able to stand up. Now you're talking about an emergency situation, one that you don't want to wait a day or two. Try the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, try a little aspirin, try a little ascriptin, okay, and see how we do. Because when we have an acute onset of paresis or paralysis like that, now we're talking about a possibility of a surgical disease. And the faster you get in, the better. So these are all clues that are important. So if it's just a matter of dogs hopping, gimping on three legs, and you check the feet, you checked in between the toes, nothing obvious, and you want to give it a day or so, okay. You want to call your doc and maybe try a little uh, anti-inflammatory. The only ones that I recommend over-the-counter really is going to be an aspirin or an ascriptin. An ascriptin is aspirin with an antacid. The Tylenols, the uh, ibuprofens, you know, the Advils, things like that, I don't necessarily recommend them for dogs. I think that you probably could use one in a pinch. You never, while we're on the subject of the acetaminophen, it will kill a cat. Never, never, never give acetaminophen to a cat. If you drop one on the floor and you have cats around the house, find it. Because the one case, interestingly, I've had in the last few years was a, a friend who calls me in the morning and his cat is really just having a tough time and this cat's tongue is blue. And we're not talking about a chow chow dog. We're talking about a cat. And the cat's lungs were totally clear, breathing totally normally, and yet blue tongue and really just gasping. And my first thought, well, it wasn't that my first, but obviously I was thinking about some sort of pulmonary problem, was we got into the, the possibility of a Tylenol toxicity. I asked him, is there any possibility? 
He goes, oh, my God. I go, what, what, what? He got home the night before. It was late, and he had a headache. So he gets his Tylenol. It's acetaminophen. And he puts a couple in his hand, ready to take them. One drops. He looks under the bed a little bit. He looks under his nightstand. Can't find it. He figures no big deal. He pops another one and takes his two. Well, guess who found the one that fell on the floor? His cat. And we are talking a very, very serious emergency. Fortunately, we were able to pull this cat through. But I would not recommend it because it's very, very deadly. And we're, only when you're awfully lucky can you pull one through. So anyway, be careful about things like that when you're dealing with limping. But so back to the limping. If this continues, if they can't put their weight down, in other words, if they will walk, maybe they're, they're favoring it, but they will walk. Chances are, and again, I learned a long time ago never to say never, but chances are there's no broken bone. Well, a broken major bone. I've seen dogs with a, a broken metatarsal or metacarpal bone, which are those little skinny bones at the top part of the feet, that if you have one broken, they still can bear weight because the other three are working just totally fine. So that's a possibility. But usually if they can bear weight, we're dealing more with a soft tissue strain or an injury, a pull, a ligament, a tendon, a muscle, things like that. If they are totally non-weight bearing and very painful to the touch, then it could be a fracture. And typically also, the higher, this is really cool, the higher a pet, especially going to be a dog, holds his leg up if he is not putting it down, the more likely the problem is lower in the leg, meaning the hock or the foot. The knee and the hip are usually fine. Conversely, if they seem to be kind of like not wanting to bear weight, but the leg, is, they don't lift it very high. It's kind of like almost like dragging down. Then more likely the injury is going to be the hip or the stifle, the knee. Because when they can lift it really high up and hold it up, that kind of tells you the hip is good and the knee is good. When they can't, it drags, it often means that the, the, that is where the problem is. Sometimes when there is a foot, foot, foot problem, if you touch the pads, touch, touch the bottom of the foot, you will get a reaction. And this is where you're going to look for the splinter, the stinger from the bee, the glass, uh, especially if there's bleeding. And always check in between the toes because one thing we see this time of year are the plant-ons, the foxtails as we call them, that will migrate. And one of the places they love to migrate is in the feet in between the toes. So uh, there also we have a, uh, a clue. When any of these problems last more than like two days, you really should make an appointment to see your vet even though everything else is perfect. And it might just be a soft tissue. And the treatment might be some veterinary non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, some rest, some icing, etc. But don't wait too long because if it is something worse or it is a soft tissue tear, like maybe a cruciate ligament, these are something that we want to be a bit more aggressive. And, you know, there are a lot of really effective modalities, treatment modalities now that we can use that can provide some relief in addition to the non-steroidals, the anti-inflammatories, such as laser, such as acupuncture, that you don't want to wait too long because you might be able to make your pet a lot more comfortable if you jump on it more readily. Now, I, real quick, I just wanted to mention one more thing. We talked about the allergies. We are seeing a ton this time of year, and the manifestations are usually skin-related, usually itching. And what's so interesting, especially with a dog, are the key allergens that we see this time of year are going to be fleas. We call that FAD, flea allergic dermatitis. Pollens, which are inhaled. It can also inhale molds. Dogs are allergic to molds. And then things that they can ingest. Interestingly, you can have a dog that's allergic to food 
And you'd think, well, when you eat something and you're allergic to it, right, it's a gastrointestinal signs. You sometimes do get swollen around the face. Same thing with dogs. And a lot of times we can tell from the location of where the dog is scratching or the cat is scratching, and we'll get to that when we talk more about cats, that it often can give us a clue as to what the allergen is. And what I wanted to do next week, so stay tuned because it's a huge problem this time of year, is we are going to talk about canine and feline allergies, allergic skin disease, secondary infection. We're going to talk about how to diagnose and how to treat and some of the great things we have on the market right now to help with these pets that are miserable, especially this time of year. And it's going to last through typically because of the pollens, it's going to be with us through probably September, maybe even some places early October. So we want to uh, take care of that right uh, earlier the better by helping our pets stay a lot more comfortable this time of year. And especially when it comes to treating those, just those nuisance fleas. So anyway, thanks for joining me here on Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. Uh, if you have any, want to send me an email, I will also send you out a product and then we'll read your email live on air next week. You can reach me at drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Once again, want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products. You can find them at your local retailer, your, your uh, Target, your Walmart, and also Kong Toys, who have been gracious enough to have us send out free Kong products to those of you that have the guts to give us a call here on Pet Life Radio. Write this number down for next week, 877-385-8882, or just can join in the conversation here under the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff Tab here on Pet Life Radio. See you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.